I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Get ready, because God wants to say something to you today. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train out of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard a voice, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for me? And I said, here am I, send me. This morning, I actually want to pick up where we left off about a month and a half ago when we we began a series entitled God Is. And if you remember the first sermon in that series, I talked about God who is Yahweh, the God who is, the God who always has been, the God who is self-existent, no one created him. He's the Alpha and Omega in the beginning and the end. And we talked about God being strong enough in our life. We talked about God being able. We talked about God being faithful. We talked about God who is love. That's the very nature and essence of God is that he is love. And, and today I've got, a, I've got a sermon burning in my soul, in my heart. As Jeremiah said, if I, if I preach not, it is like a fire that is shut up in my bones. And I want to talk to you about getting a clear vision of who God is. Because you see, you'll never relate to God. You'll never know God. You'll never be able to believe God for big things in your life. You'll never be able to experience God. You'll never understand what God has for you until you can know and understand and see him for who he really is. That he is Yahweh and that he is majestic. But today I want to hone in on one essence of God, the very character and nature of God Almighty. And if there's one thing we find throughout all of the scripture is this understanding of the holiness of God. And now God is calling Isaiah to be a prophet. Now, now to be a prophet was a really hard job. It wasn't like, hey, I aspire to be a prophet. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't the same way. It's like, I, I want to be a doctor or a lawyer because if you, if you wanted to be a prophet, first of all, you couldn't just want to be a prophet. You had to be called to be a prophet because nobody would really want to be a prophet because the prophet, the life of a prophet, the ministry, the task and job of a prophet was a very hard job. 
Most of the time, the people hated the prophet. Why? Because the prophet was speaking for God. And most of the time, the people's hearts were so hardened that they needed God to speak to them about repentance, about turning away from their wickedness because who knows the heart of man, but it is utterly wicked. And so to step into the role of the prophet was a very dangerous job. Jeremiah was thrown into a cistern because he preached the truth. If you notice in the scriptures that the prophets were persecuted, Elijah runs into the desert and said, God, I don't want to live anymore, God, because this life of a prophet is a very hard life. John the Baptist had his head cut off because he spoke against Herod and the woman that Herod was sleeping with. And so the job of a prophet was a very hard job. And now Isaiah is called to speak to the people of Israel and tell them that the prosperous years of King Uzziah has come to the end. And as a result of that, God is going to do something to discipline the people of Israel. And he's going to send them into Babylon for 70 years. And and notice what Isaiah says when he sees the Lord high and lifted up. He says, Lord, I am undone. But the Lord says, who will I send? And Isaiah says, send me, Lord. And Isaiah asks the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to say? And what do you want me to do? And how long do you want me to speak? And God said, Isaiah, I want you to speak until all the cities in Jerusalem and all the cities around will be desolate and all the people will be dragged away, but there'll be left a tenth of the people in the land. And I will, uh, I will actually allow a king to come in and destroy the land, but there will be a stump. If you know anything about cutting down a tree, if you cut it down, it'll grow again. You got to pull it up at the roots. And so God says, I'm going to leave a stump, meaning there's hope, meaning that there's going to come a time when when I'm going to once again restore the people of God, that I'm going to send my prophet, uh, John the Baptist, to say, make straight the way of the Lord, and I'm going to send my Messiah. And notice right after the, the Bible tells us that God says to Isaiah, go and tell the people that destruction's coming. Then Isaiah says in 714, but God's going to send one, and his name is going to be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And then Isaiah 9, God says, and I'm going to send a son, and he's going to be the ruler of the world, and he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and Prince of Peace. He was talking about the Messiah giving the people a hope and an understanding that the root of David, that stump, is signifying that God is going to redeem the people of God. Listen to me. God is a merciful, loving, redeeming God. And when you do something that hurts the heart of God, God reaches down and he says, I want you to repent and get right because I want to restore you and renew you and revive you. And that's what we've been doing all week long. We've been talking about revival. We've been talking about renewal, and we've had some incredible services. Man, I'm telling you, if you missed the service on Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday, man, you missed something incredibly powerful. And this week, we've been fasting and, and getting closer to God. And I, and I got to tell you, every time I fast and, and I seek the Lord uh, for an extended period of time, God reveals himself in such a powerful way to me. And I've been reading the word. We've been reading Matthew all through the, the, the book of Matthew. And I, I hope that you're journeying, uh, j- joining us on this journey of actually reading through the scripture. Because God has been giving me some new and fresh insight in his word. His word is so deep. And I want to encourage you to stay on track and keep on reading.
reading the word together because God's about to do something powerful at Bethlehem Assembly of God. Come on, somebody say amen. But who is King Uzziah? King Uzziah is, is actually, in the beginning of his life, he's a really good king. I mean, you can't find a lot of good kings in Israel or Judah. In fact, there's just a few of them that really have a heart after God. David is right at the top of the list. He's a man after God's own heart. And then you think of Josiah. Josiah is a young man of God. He's a young king, and he turns the nation around, 16 years old. Listen to me. Don't tell me, young person, that God doesn't want to use you. He becomes a king. When he's eight, when he's 16, he takes the throne, and he introduces to all of Israel national repentance and revival. God wants to use young people. He does. He wants to use you. But before he can use you, you've got to get a clear glimpse of who God is. Before he can send you, you've got to really see who God is. Before he can bless you, you've got to really understand who God is. You see, I believe with all my heart that the secret to revival, the secret of a transformed life, the secret of a changed heart, the secret of renewal in our soul, revival in our family, repentance in our church is found in seeing God for who he really is. You see, I believe today more than ever before the church and so many believers And every person in this room, we need to experience what Isaiah experienced in our life. You see, something has has been missing in the church. But I believe that it is the secret of God's blessing. It is the secret of intimacy with God. It is the secret of the presence of God. It is the secret of the mercy and grace of God in our life. It is a clear understanding, a clear vision, a clear revelation of the majesty and splendor and glory and holiness of God. Somebody help me out and say amen. Listen to me, I believe the reason why the church is not seeing revival, I believe the reason why the church is not experiencing the freedom that it should experience from from sin and strongholds in their lives, the reason why we're not experiencing all that God has for us is because we have lost a vision of who God is. If there's one thing the Jewish people have carried on for us is this understanding of an almighty God a holy God, a righteous God, a loving and compassionate God. And when, when we experience that and we understand that, God begins to do something deep in our heart. You cannot experience God until you see God for who he is. Let me say that again. You cannot experience God until you see God for who he is. We cannot experience freedom from sin and the joy of the Lord and the peace of God and the inner revival that God wants us to experience until we really see who God is. And, 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 he, and Isaiah is about to experience a conversion of his soul. Isaiah is about to experience a transformation in his heart. He's actually about to experience a deliverance of his own sinfulness And it will happen through coming face to face with a holy God. And I want to suggest to you this morning, the reason why the church is so powerless is because we have never really embraced the majesty and the splendor and the glory and the holiness of God in our life. It's called reverence. It's called respect. It's called the fear of the Lord. It's called awe. You know, you know, growing up, I'm, you'll find, if you, if you hang around me long enough, you'll find that so often I, when I pray, I, I kneel before the Lord. Because my grandfather, thank God, 
My grandfather taught me. I remember we used to get up in the morning and he'd stay over my house, you know, and hang out with us for a while. And my grandfather was such a godly man. My grandfather would not drink any water without saying, thank you, God, for water that you gave me. Such a humble, broken man. And he'd say to us early in the morning, he'd say, Shinander means in, in Italian, it means get on the floor, get on your face before God. And so I learned at a, at a young age that when I come into the very presence of God, it doesn't mean that I don't live in the presence of God. I live in the presence of God. And you don't have to always kneel when you're praying out to God. I walk for an hour and pray every day. And you can, you can be in your car and pray. Don't get me wrong. He's everywhere, and you can pray anytime. But man, there are times in my life when I'm so aware of the presence of God. I'm so aware of the majesty and glory of God that there's, there's just no other response that I can respond to God with. But Lord, God, I'm broken in your presence. And Lord, I bow as low as I can. And Lord, I humble myself before you, God, because you're such a mighty and awesome God. And if there's one thing that we see in the scriptures is this shock and awe, shock and awe. Moses comes into the presence of God and there's shock and awe. Moses, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. And Moses says, I can't even look at the face of God. And Jeremiah, shock and awe. Isaiah, shock and awe. I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Abraham is visited by three men and he doesn't know exactly who they are, but there's a shock and awe. Why? Because some theologians believe it was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he could feel the reverence, the awe of these people visiting him and he was so in awe of it and John in the Bible at the end of the Bible in the New Testament the Bible says that John he's on the island of Patmos and he gets a vision of Jesus and the Bible says he sees Jesus with fire in his eyes and there's a sword in his mouth and when he speaks he speaks with thunder and the Bible says that when John sees the Lord he falls to his knees and he recognizes he's in the very presence of God Almighty and there's shock and all in his life. Notice Isaiah. What's the vision that he sees? Isaiah saw a living God who was majestic, mighty, and sovereign. He said, when the, when the king died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. A couple of years ago, I preached a sermon, many years ago, called The King is Dead, Look a Little Higher. And when you're going through difficult times in your life, when, when your dreams seem to die, when something dies inside of you, just look a little higher. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and he is alive. Hallelujah. He's alive. God is real. He's alive. And you've got to look a little higher than your problems. You've got to see God in the midst of your problem, no matter what you're going through in your life. But the Bible says Isaiah saw the Lord there's two names for God in the Bible. Actually, one is a name, one is a title. Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh, which means that God is, he'll always be. He is self-existent. He's the beginning and the end. No one created him. No one will ever create him. No one can take anything from him. No one can give anything to him because he's Yahweh. He is the great I am. When Moses went to God and said, who shall I say sent me? He said, you tell them I am the God who always was and always will be. Yahweh sent you. That's his name, surname. 
But there's also a title that God has. He's, his title is Adonai, L-O-R-D, Lord. And I love what the Bible says in Second in Philippians chapter two, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Adonai, hallelujah. Adonai, Lord, and that word Lord means sovereign, that he's sovereign over everything. He doesn't answer to no man. He doesn't have to answer to why he does what he does. So often we say when we get to heaven, we're gonna ask God, why did he do this? And why did he do that, friend, when you get to heaven? You're going to be in shock and awe, and you're going to just go, wow, I'm in the presence of Almighty God. And you're going to fall to your knees, and you're going to recognize that you are in the presence of Adonai, the Lord who is sovereign over all things. Amen. Isaiah sees the Lord sovereign, high and lifted up, Adonai. Notice Isaiah, what he sees, and then he says, when the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Train, fill the temple. And the train of a robe, the king's robe meant something. It was a form of how powerful the king was. It, it, was, it marked how, how mighty and strong and powerful. It was a, a mark of, of splendor and majesty and glory. It was a status. It was a sign of great status. And so if a king had a plain robe on, he wasn't a really mighty king. But a king, a king that was a king over kingdoms and nations, he would come in with a royal robe. It was made with all kinds of gold on it. It was an incredible robe. And the Bible says that Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, his robe, just the train, just the train of his robe filled the whole temple. In other words, you know, you kind of get this picture of a bride who comes in. I've seen some really beautiful brides at Bethlehem Assembly of God, but no one as beautiful as my wife. Remember, I'm coming off my fast this afternoon. <laughs> Pasta, eggplant, and regatta. Mm. I just can't wait to get off this fast. <laughs> no, I'm just, it's just, 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 just a thought, just a thought. Man, am I going to have a good time this afternoon. <sighs> but my wife walked into the church. Hallelujah. Beautiful. Beautiful bride. And some brides, they have these beautiful dresses with these long, long trains on their, on their dresses. And it's just a beautiful, and, and they come up to the platform, and I, I love to watch it happen. And, you know, there's the, there's the bridesmaids, you know, and the maid of honor. And the maid of honor, she takes them and, and, and picks it up for her and helps her up. get a kick out of it. And Isaiah says, I saw the Lord and he was high and he was lifted up and his train of his robe, just the very train of his robe filled the whole temple. It was draped over the temple. It wasn't his robe. It was just the very backside. The train of his robe was so glorious, so majestic, so mighty that he's getting a picture of just a little bit of the glimpse of how awesome God really is.
And then Isaiah said, not only did I see the train of his robe filling the whole temple, but he said, but then I, then I saw seraphim, seraphim, these, 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 these angelic beings. Now you think to yourself, well, that's pretty sci-fi. Seraphim, what's a seraphim? What does a seraphim look like? The Bible said they, they had wings. It doesn't say exactly what they look like. It just says they had six wings, two wings to cover their eyes because no one could look at the very glory and presence of God without Jesus. Hallelujah. There was such a holiness that they covered their eyes lest they would be struck dead by the very glory and holiness and brightness of God Almighty. And the Bible says there were two wings that that covered their feet. Why? Because Moses, you're on holy ground. This ground that you stand on is very holy. Why? Because God is there. God is wherever God is. It is holy. And they were, they were flying. And you think to yourself, what? This is a sci-fi movie. Man, that's a kind of a weird, a weird being. Well, have you, ever, have you ever watched, you know, National Geographics and seen some really weird animals? And you think to yourself, wow, that's a weird animal. Man, why does that weird animal have this really long nose or, or some of those animals with thick skin or shells or whatever? I mean, a turtle, a turtle's really weird. They just, just really, I like turtles, but they're weird. You know, they just look like, like a, a warrior's hat, you know, like a soldier's hat, right? A helmet, right? And then they, and they duck their head out for a little while, look around. And, and that's an ugly creature. They pop back in again, pop out again, pop in again. Did you know that, that turtles live for a lot longer than any one of us in this room? See, God gave them an ability to pr- be protected for many, many years, because he just wanted them to be around for a really long time. As a God has a specific reason for every animal, for every being, except for the green-headed fly. Those things are from the pit of hell, I'm telling you. <laughs> the devil created those guys. But God has a reason for every being. And, and, and God gave these beings, one purpose, listen to me, one purpose, and one purpose at all, and that was that they would fly, and they would say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and when they finished saying, they'd say it again, holy, 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 when we get to heaven, we're going to hear angels all the time saying, holy, 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 why? Because God doesn't want us to forget who he is, hallelujah, that he is loving, but he has holy love, he is glorious, but he is holy, glorious. He is merciful, but he is holy, merciful. He is mighty, but he is holy, mighty. That's who he is. He's holy. Their one purpose was to remind all of heaven that God is holy. What does it mean that God is holy? The Hebrew word for holy is kadesh, and it means apartness. It means set-apartness, separateness, sacredness, otherness, transcendent, totally other totally other. And the only way we can describe God's holiness is to understand there's nothing, there's no word that could ever really describe God's holiness, so we call him God. Because the only way that you can describe him 
is to recognize that he is other. He is transcendent. There's no one like him. He doesn't have a beginning or an end. He's totally separate from all beings and creatures. See, we have, we have something in common. We're, we're the same. But God is not the same. There's no one like God. There's no angel like God. There's no being like God. There's no one like God. The, the devil thought, well, I will be like God. I will ascend to the throne and I will be God. And God goes, okay, ready? And he drops, kick him out of heaven. Boom, done, gone. It was no battle. Everybody thinks there was a big battle in heaven. No, no battle. Beep. Jesus said, I saw Satan descend like lightning. That's how fast God kicked him out of heaven. Come on, somebody. There's nothing, no one. Now, I happen to love John Piper. He's a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm somewhere in the middle of a Calvinist and an Armenius. But, but let me tell you, I love his writings. And here's what John Piper says about God. Listen closely to this. The possibilities of language to carry the meaning of God eventually runs out and, and, and spills over the edge of the world into a vast unknown. Holiness carries us to the brink. And from there, the experience of God is beyond words. Every effort to define the holiness of God ultimately winds up by saying God is holy means God is God. A holy thing is cut and separated from common use. There is holy ground. God speaks in the word of holy assembly, holy Sabbaths, a holy nation, holy garments. That's why we have teenagers today with holes in their pants because they have holy garments. That's why the meat is very holy. A holy city that God promises will come down from Jerusalem, like from heaven, like a new Jerusalem. But notice what happens when this definition applies to God himself. From what can you separate God to make him holy? The very godness of God means that he is separate from all that is not God. There is an infinite qualitative difference between creator and creature. God is one of a kind in a class all by himself. In that sense, he is utterly holy. But then you have said no more than he is God. Or if the holiness of a man derives from being separated from the world and devoted to God, to whom is God devoted so to derive his holiness? To no one but himself. It is blasphemy to say that there is a higher reality than God to which he must conform in order to be holy. God is the absolute reality beyond which is only more of God. When asked for his name, he said, I am that I am. His being and his character are utterly undetermined by anything outside of himself. He is not holy because he keeps rules. He makes the rules. He wrote the rules. God is not holy because he keeps the law. The law is holy because it reveals God. God is absolute. Everything else is a derivative. What then is his holiness? Listen to these verses. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside him. Isaiah 40, Hosea 11, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. In the end, God is holy and that's 
who he is. He is incomparable. His holiness is his utterly unique divine essence. It determines all that he is and does and is determined by no one. His holiness is what God is, which no one else is or ever will be. Call it majesty, call it divinity, call it greatness, whatever you want to call it. Words cannot describe who God is. So then how do we respond to the holiness of God? How this morning in our lives on a daily basis, how do we respond to the holiness of God? Well, you see, the church tends to live in extremes because we're extreme people. We're all extreme. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're, you're, you're extreme. And, and, and we tend to all be imbalanced. And I, I, I suppose part of that is because we've got a, a certain character, a certain nature, a certain temperament. We have gifts and callings. Some of us are loud, some of us are quiet, whatever. But we, we tend to live in those imbalances in our life. And I want to tell you that the church, it lives in extremes. When we get a revelation of something, we run after it hard, and sometimes we go to an extreme. And so there was a time in the history of the church when there was a fine balance between grace and holiness. There was a fine balance between love and holiness. There was a fine balance between freedom in the spirit and, and holiness and all those things. It was a beautiful fine balance that we found in the New Testament church. But somewhere along the line, people forgot that God was a holy God who deserves our reverence and awe, shock and awe. And so what happened is, is we needed some preachers to come, some prophets to come and speak about the holiness of God. And so the prophets and preachers came and they, read, they rode their circuit and they went around speaking about the holiness of God and everybody said, yes, God is a holy God. And, and so we had what was called the holiness movement and then we had the holiness churches and somewhere between the reality of God who is really holy, they caught a glimpse of God being holy, but they thought, you know what? We have to preserve and protect the holiness of God. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna write regulations and laws to keep everybody holy. So you go to a holiness church. I was born in a Pentecostal Italian holiness church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you were born into a, a Spanish Pentecostal holiness church. And in our attempt to keep the holiness of God in the forefront of our lives, we started to write rules and regulations. Well, you, you have to wear dresses that are really, really long. They can't, they can't even show your little toe right there because somebody <laughs> might lust over that little toe. <laughs> and, and you can't wear makeup because if you wear makeup, the guy in the church might look at you and say, wow. <laughs> and, you, and you better cover yourself because God's a holy God and you gotta keep yourself covered because you, God's holy. And, and, and so we went to this extreme where it became laws and regulations as to try to keep and maintain holiness in our life. And it got too extreme to the point where it was just legalism. And so now we've got to balance it out so God raises up people and they start riding the circuit and saying we're saved by grace. And so preachers start preaching about love and grace. 
And all they preach about is love and grace, love and grace, love and grace, love and grace. And today you go on TV and what are they preaching about? Love and grace, love and grace. You never hear a message about hell. You never hear a message about the holiness of God. You never hear about the fact that God's going to judge us. You never hear the, the fact that God loves us so much that he sent his son and it was because of his holiness that Jesus died on the cross for us because Jesus didn't die for you so that he can bless you. Jesus didn't die for you so that you can have heaven. Jesus didn't die for you for any other reason to make you holy. Holy. What did it cost God, his son, to make you holy? What a God that we serve. What, a, what an incredible God that we serve. That we were undone. That we were unholy. That we were sinful. That we had to stand before a, a holy, righteous God. And if we weren't covered and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we could not come into the very presence of God Almighty. What a God we serve. What a wonderful God. But now, now we have pre preachers talk about the, the grace and grace, grace of God. So you can do anything you want because you're eternally saved and you're saved by grace. You could live any way you want. And we've got a generation of young people that are sleeping around before getting married, committing fornication. And we've got men in the church committing adultery. And we've got couples that are divorcing one another. Why? Because we're saved by grace. It's all grace. God's going to forgive me anyway. Come on, come on. Listen to me, folks. And it's destroying the church today. And it's destroying marriages and it's destroying people's lives because it's a lie from the pit of hell. Yes, we are saved by grace, but we're saved unto good works. Yes, we're saved by grace, but we're saved by grace so the Holy Ghost can come inside of us. And the word is Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit that comes inside of us and transforms us and causes us to be born again so that we can reflect the very image of God who is a holy God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Notice Isaiah's response to the holiness of God. I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And I saw the seraphim, and they were flying holy. Holy, holy is the Lord. And I saw that, and I saw the very nature and character of God. And I said, oh, God, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips. You see, the Bible tells us from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Isaiah said, oh God, I can't speak about you. I can't speak for you. My lips are unclean and I'm undone in your presence. And the Hebrew word undone means to be unraveled, to be absolutely in pieces. You see, before you could ever experience the glory of God and the power of God and the blessings of God, he's got to make you totally undone in his presence. You got to fall to pieces before he puts you back together again. You're not Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> but you've got, to, you've got to be totally undone. The Bible says God, he resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. When we come into the very presence of Almighty God, what can we give him? What can we bring him? 
What can we offer a holy God for our sins? Nothing. I'm undone. I'm doomed. I'm doomed without the very love and mercy and grace of a holy God who's given me the way to holiness. I love what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor. He wasn't talking about people that don't have money. He was talking about a person who's so undone in the very presence of God that they recognize that without God, without his mercy, they're eternally doomed for hell. And friends, let me tell you something. Look at me as your pastor today. You're not going to like what I said, some of you, because you know the truth is you're so proud. But the Bible tells us there is a hell. And, and now we want to erase hell. Rob Bell erased hell in his mind. But you cannot erase hell because as I'm reading through the book of Matthew, Jesus says over and over and over again, better to cut your finger off, better to cut your hand off if it offends you than to enter into hell. Now, let me make sure you understand that. You could cut your hand off and still have lust in your heart. So what he was doing is making a, a comparison. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul in hell? And Jesus depicts hell as a place of suffering where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he depicts it as a fiery furnace, a place of incredible suffering beyond even what fire could actually do to you for all eternity. Now you say, what in the world is that all about? God never made hell for us. He made it for the devil and for the fallen angels. That's what the Bible says. He made heaven for us, but there's only one way you can get into heaven, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Why would you reject that? Why, why, why would you reject the grace of God in your life? But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That the only way that you can get into the kingdom, the only way you can experience the kingdom of holiness is to be undone in the very presence of God, humbled in the presence of God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Does it mean that you're pure? Does it mean that, that, that you're perfect? No, nobody's perfect. I come close, but nobody's perfect. <laughs> And we still sin in our life. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John said, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of God, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. In other words, being pure in heart means you walk in the light. You walk in truthfulness. You don't lie about your sinful condition. You don't lie about your struggles. You don't lie about your shortcomings but you bring them all to God. What does God require? Micah chapter six, verse eight tells us, he had shown thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. Humility, the understanding that our hearts are blackened by sin and we are in desperate need of a savior. Notice what happens. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he's undone. And he has no way to be cleansed. But God, in his mercy, sends one of the seraphim. Notice what it says. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Only God can make us holy through his son. I call it the process of holiness. First, the plan of holiness. Check it out. I love this. Ephesians chapter one, the plan of holiness. Ephesians chapter one, verse four. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And what did Jesus choose you for to be holy? He didn't die on the cross to bless you. He didn't die on the cross to give you heaven. He died on the cross to make you holy. And because now you are holy, you get eternal life. Now that you're holy, you get to go to heaven. You get to be in the very presence of God. You get to have intimacy with God. Why? Because of what Christ did on the cross. Yet it was the plan of God that you would be holy. Listen to me. God has a plan for your life, and it is big. And what's the big plan? That he makes you holy. Because without holiness, no man can see God. Wow. And what is holy? What does it mean to be holy? It means to be different. It means to be set apart and separate. Listen to me, Christian, young person. When Jesus came into your life, he separated you. The word sanctification. He separated you and took you out of the world. And he said, this is mine. He cleaned you up. That's what the word holy means. To be clean and pure and set apart. Sanctified. He set you apart and he separated you so that you might be used by him, that you might glorify him, and that you might walk with him. It's different. It means to be set apart. The purpose of holiness, listen to me, Romans 8, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Wow. The plan before the the world was ever created to be holy. The purpose of holiness, so that you might be like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus. I want to be strong like Jesus. I want to be bold like Jesus. I want miracles to flow through my life. I want to be pure. I want to be free like Jesus. Listen to me. Jesus was the most free person that ever lived in the, on the face of this earth. Why? Because listen to me. Look at me, young person. Because sin always leads to bondage. Listen to me. Sin and rebellion against God always leads to death. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. For the wages, the payment of sin is death. Listen to me. The devil is going to paint a picture for you and makes you, make you think that that really looks good and you want to run after it. You know, man of God in this house today, the devil's going to paint a picture and it's going to be this beautiful woman at work and you're going to go to work every day and you're going to wonder, why can't my wife be like this? Why can't my wife talk? like this? Why can't my wife listen to me? Why can't my wife look like this person? And you're going to get tempted and the devil's going to give you this picture of this tempting thing in your life. And let me tell you something. When you go after it, it's going to produce 
death in your family. It's going to produce death in your marriage. It's going to produce death in your children. It's going to produce death all around. Why? Because sin does one thing. It causes death all around you. Don't you think for one moment that you can get away with sin? Sin is always leading you into bondage. But if you turn away, as the Bible says that God says to Cain, sin is creeping at your door. But if you master it, you can overcome it. And I'm here to tell you today that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Young person, I want to tell you right now, you can't play with sin without getting burned. Oh, Pastor Steve. I have people that pass this thing. I can just, I can just smoke a little marijuana, and I'm different than anybody else. It's not going to lead to nothing else. I'm going to tell you right now: disobedience to God will always lead to one place: death. Amen. Death. Amen. But you see, here's here's the joy of living in holiness. The joy of holiness is that you get to live in freedom. I'm free. I'm not bound by drugs and alcohol. I'm not bound by sin. I'm not bound by lust. I'm not bound by pornography. I'm not bound by anything. Why? Because I'm walking in holiness. Hallelujah. That doesn't mean that I don't struggle at times, but I'm not bound by anything. Hallelujah. Because that's the joy of holiness is we're free to be who God wants us to be. We're free from guilt and condemnation. We can now come into the very presence of God, hallelujah, because we've been made holy by Jesus. Why? Because the provision of holiness comes through being in Christ. The plan before the world, that you'd be holy. The purpose, that you might be like Christ. The provision is through Jesus. Hebrews 10 First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He set aside the first and established the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all. He took our sins and nailed it to the cross. And now we have peace with God. The Old Testament, the tabernacles, the tabernacle was a picture of the very presence of God Almighty. And the Bible says that Jesus, he went through the holy of holies. He went to heaven with his blood and with your sins. He nailed it to the cross so that you might be holy. You can't be holy by trying harder, doing more. You can only be holy by allowing Christ to be Lord of your life, Adonai. What does holiness really mean? As the worship team comes, here's what holiness means. It means to be God-like. Leviticus tells us that God says to the people of Israel, for I am Yahweh, your God. Yahweh, I am. So you must consecrate yourself and be holy because I am holy. For I am Yahweh who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God, so you must be holy because I am holy. Peter reflects this in his epistle when he says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. It's only by grace that we become holy. 
as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So it means to be separate. When you experience the holiness of God, everything will be different different in your life. My friend, holiness doesn't mean to live by a set of laws or rules. Holiness means being different like God. Holiness means being separated from the unholy thing. So Paul the Apostle, he says to all of us in this room today, listen to what he said. He said, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and then I will receive you. I'm not the same any longer. I don't lie. I don't have sex outside of marriage. I don't cheat. I don't commit adultery. I don't get drunk. I don't feel comfortable around those who sin, even though I love them, even though I'm called to reach them. I don't feel comfortable because I'm not of this world. And I don't participate in things that are simply unholy. Why? Because I'm holy now. And the benefits of holiness is I enjoy freedom from bondage. And the most important thing is I enjoy intimacy with God. God said, who can come close? God said, who can approach my throne? Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. And ultimately, at the end of the day, because I'm holy, see, I am holy. Now I choose to live holy. I am holy, the work of God. I live holy, my decision by the grace of God. And what has God given us to be able to live holy? The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. How many of you in this room, you want to have a closer, intimate walk with Jesus? I mean, he's with you. He'll never leave you. But you want to be aware of that intimacy with Jesus. You want to see God work in your life in a way that you've never seen God work in your life. God says, okay, it's time for my people to come out from among them and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. That's a choice we make. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. And I'm going to ask you a question. First question I want to ask you is if you die today, are you sure that you'd go to heaven? Are you sure that you'd go to heaven if you died today? You say, Pastor, I don't know. We want to help you to get that answer. We want to help you to be assured of your salvation that can only be found in Christ. But it starts first with asking the question, if you died today, are you sure you'd go to heaven? Maybe you're watching via live stream. Maybe you're in the cafe. Maybe you're in the balcony. 
You say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus to rescue me from my sinfulness. I don't want to spend eternity in hell. I want to spend eternity with the Father in heaven. And I want to have intimate, I want to have intimacy with God. I need Jesus to cover me and cleanse me and forgive me of my sins. I want you to raise your hand right now, quickly, in this place. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Anybody in this place? I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else in this place? Quickly, you say, Pastor, pray for me today. I need Jesus to be, yes, I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm going to pray for you right now. I want you to pray this prayer. I'm not going to call you up yet, but I want you to say this prayer. I want you to say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins so that I might be holy. I receive your holiness in my life. And I receive your presence in my life. And I receive your Holy Spirit in my life. And today, I surrender all to you that I might live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you raised your hand, you prayed that prayer for the very first time, after the service, we're going to have some counselors right up front, and they want to give you information and pray with you so that you know how to live a life of holiness. But I'm going to ask you today, whoever you are today, I'm going to ask you one question. Do you want to walk closer to God and experience his intimacy in the way in a way that you've never experienced it before do you want to see the holy spirit do incredible works in your life and through your life if that's you today and you just know that you want a, a deeper awareness of the holiness of god in your life and as a result of having that deeper awareness of the holiness in your life that you're going to say i'm separating myself unto holiness i'm consecrating myself notice what what God said in Leviticus, consecrate yourself. You know what it means to consecrate? It means come out, separate yourself, and make a decision. Make a decision. I'm going to live for God. If that's you today, I want you to stand to your feet right now and say, yes, I want to consecrate myself unto holiness. Come on, stand up right now. Come on, come on. I want to be different. I'm going to live different. I'm not touching that unclean thing. I'm not untouching. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to live holy in my life. Yes, it's by God's grace but I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to call those things that are not as though I am. They are, and I'm going to consider those things in my life that are unholy. I'm going to shun those things and cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you right now, quickly, in this place, I want you to get out of your seat. I want to pray a blessing for you right now because this is, this is coming out. This is coming out. Come on, this is coming out. It's come out from among them and be separate. You're going to separate yourself here. Come on. We're going to separate ourselves. Come on. Come on out and separate yourself. See, as you're coming out of your seat, you're separating yourself. You're separating yourself. I grew up in a church, this church, that called people out. God's calling you out. He's calling you out. And so we call you to come forward because it's like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving here and I'm coming here and I'm separating myself unto God. So I want you to get out of your seat. If you're standing up, that means you want to be holy. I want you to get out of your seat. Come up here for a moment. We're going to pray a prayer of separation. Be separate unto the world. Be separate. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, let me just be really, really clear with you. You're never going to do it by just willpower. You do it by humbling yourself before God and receiving his power. 
and His grace. And His grace is going to be right there for you. I remember when I heard this message. I was 19 years old. Look, look at me. Look at me. I was 19 years old when I heard the message of holiness, of righteousness. I was so in the world before I came to know Jesus as my Savior. I was drinking. I was partying. I was sleeping around. I was having sex before marriage. And now all of a sudden, God said, no, 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 no. I got something better for you. I got a woman that you're going to meet. And I want you to learn how to die to yourself. You see, let let me just tell you something about sex before marriage. Why does God say don't have sex before marriage? Because it's a holy covenant that you're binding yourself to another person. And the Bible says the two become one flesh. God created sex for two people to become one. And the truth is, when you have sex with somebody and you're not, you're not committing them to them, you're not committing your life to them, and then you have sex with somebody else, or sex with them, you know what happens? It's like Velcro. After a while, the stickiness wears off, and there's no more stick to itness anymore to it, because there's, there's just an act. That's all it is, an act, but not to God. Not in God's sight, it's not an act. In God's sight, it's one of the holiest things that he gave us as people, as human beings, to be consecrated to one another. Now, maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've already committed sex out of marriage or whatever. God can make you a virgin all over again in your heart. That's his grace. Hallelujah. That's his grace. That he cleanses you and he forgives you of all your sins. But I remember coming to Christ and I was like, oh God, this is going to be the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. And God said, yes, but but you can do it one day at a time because I I give you my Holy Spirit. And here's what God told me. He said, "If, if you can't be faithful, in this area of your life, if you can't get this area of your life under control before you get married, then after you get married, you're going to commit adultery. He said, so you better get it right now, and I'm going to teach you how to control your appetites today, and it'll carry through through your marriage, and it'll carry through in every other area of your life. So God's going to teach you how to control your appetites because, because God has something better for you. He's not a cosmic killjoy. Listen to me. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He doesn't want to take away your fun. I have all the fun in the world, but I don't have to go home feeling guilty. I don't have to go home thinking, oh my goodness, who's watching me? Who's going to catch me? I don't have to worry about if this drug or this alcohol is going to bind me because I just follow God's law, God's commandments that are good and wholesome and wonderful. Hallelujah. It leads, listen to me, God's ways lead to life and freedom. Disobedience always leads to death. Are you ready to make that commitment to holiness? And maybe you're struggling in your life with a, a sin. Maybe it's, maybe for men it's pornography. I want to tell you that God wants to deliver you. You get, you find a godly man, a godly man, not a godly woman. You find the godly man and you confess your sins to that godly man and say hold me accountable and God will give you strength whatever it is God's going to give you an overcoming spirit right now are you ready are you ready all right why do we why do we lift our hands why do we do this it's an act of surrender to God it's an act of surrender to God 